Please stand as you are able to hear the Psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise be to the word of our Lord. Please be seated. And join me in prayer if you would. Father, we are honored to come before you. Lord, we are honored that you desire so much for us to be with you that it cost you your son. You desire for us to be your people. Lord, you are God. We thank you for this psalm. We pray, Lord, that this morning you would, thy words would be your words. I pray, Father, for the ability to articulate that which you have taught me in this deep study of this Psalm 23. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Rusty Smith. For those of you who do not know me, I have been an elder here since we opened our doors and became a particularized church in 2013. So I'm honored to bring the Word of God to you this morning. I've had the opportunity to do so several times, so being invited back again is, is I guess, a good sign. Nonetheless, I've been studying Psalm 23 for quite some time, even prior to the preparation for this sermon, so uh, I'm hoping I'm able to take the information that I have, which is probably worth about maybe a long weekend uh, retreat down into just, well, not going to commit, but nonetheless, we'll make it as quickly as we can. I don't know about you, but I relate to David. My journey is very similar to David's. I've had ups and downs throughout my life, throughout my time on this earth, and I suspect many of you have as well. Thus, I relate to this precious song. My journey has included walking through the valley of shadow of death more than I care. My earliest memories are from when I was three and a half years old, as they took my mom off to the hospital prior to passing after the giving birth to my sister several days earlier. In 1996, Beth and I, Beth, my wife and I, experienced the nightmare of all nightmares for parents, and that is the loss of our middle child, Luke. Luke was just shy of being nine years old and passed after a two-year battle with an inoperable brain tumor. Joyce, as well. Beth and I are celebrating our 43rd anniversary in July. 43 years. I don't know where it went. We have three precious children and six grandchildren that I'm looking forward to spending more time with. Three are here and three are in Florida. 
I've had a rewarding career as a physical therapist for 43 years, half of that time in the clinic and half of that time teaching, being a professor, including 12 years here at the University of Lynchburg. And I'm retiring this Friday. Joyful, joyful, joyful. I resonate in many ways with David, and so I'm excited to share this psalm with you. I think it's important for you to know from where I come from as we look at this, this word. Psalm 23 is a love psalm. Unlike many of other David's psalms, it's not a prayer of requesting. It's not a prayer of complaining, but rather it is a love song. And in many ways, that love song should be number one on our charts. At the same time, Psalm 23 has become so familiar that in many ways, I think in some ways, we haven't been able to get to the depth of this chapter. In some ways, I once heard that familiarity breeds complacency. So with that in mind, this morning, my hope is to look at Psalm 23 in such a way that we're able to not only hear with our ears, but also with our hearts. You'll see that I will not be writing on the whiteboard. There's no whiteboard. You don't want me writing as a physical therapist who's been teaching for umpteen years. And I cannot draw the way Brian can draw. But I've brought props, which probably borders on the side of tackiness. But knowing that we have so many children that are here, I wanted to reach out to them as well, so that they were paying attention. And then also, I think for us adults who are children at heart, maybe the props will help as well. Martin Luther calls the 23rd Psalm God's word in miniature. As I have been studying it, if I might alter that a little bit, if I may have such bravery to to change his words a little bit or add to his words, I would suggest to you that Psalm 23 is the gospel in miniature. And I would encourage each and every one of you to memorize this chapter, six verses. Particularly for those of you that have family, I would encourage your family to do so. And that this then becomes the gospel. If you can look, at the, look for the gospel throughout the whole chapter. And if you have the next opportunity you have to share the gospel with a friend or someone, that you use this as your outline. I think it will be interesting to see that this is the gospel in miniature. Psalm 23, if you look at it, it's a statement of David's faith focused on God and himself, on the relationship between the creator and the created. As I said before, it's not a prayer like many other songs. Rather, it's a statement of faith. It's a a confession that he developed during his journey as a shepherd boy, in his victories against Goliath and Saul, his coronation of king of Israel, and also deep sins. Adultery, Bathsheba, murder of Uriah as one of his best friends. Family strife and the loss of a son. As I read this, more and more I realized, instead of calling it a confession, I prefer to call it a creed. We Presbyterians like creeds. So hence the title of this is David's Creed. A creed is a brief authoritative formula of religious belief, a set of fundamental beliefs. It's a formal statement of beliefs. As we look at this verse, this this chapter, I would encourage you to think about putting the words I believe in front of each verse. 
I believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I believe that he leads me in the path of righteousness. Put that in front of each of the verses. Well, we've got a lot to cover, so let's move on. My approach is basically going to be as a tour guide. So as we look at this psalm, we're going to move quickly from one chapter to the next. What you have in your bulletin is really your homework. I'm a professor. It's your homework. The outline essentially is the six verses themselves. That will be the outline of, of this presentation. So I will take you along as a tour guide through green pastures, still waters, path of righteousness, valley of the shadow of death, feasting table, and our eternal home. That's where we're headed. And like for those of you that have been around with tour guides, they move quickly. So we're going to move quickly, and we will not go as deep as I would like. If you want more, come up after church. I'd be happy to talk with you. On our tour, it's important to remember, we'll learn the main thing, and that's from, Luke, uh, from John 10, that the good shepherd provides. The good shepherd provides. He protects. He provides us peace. We'll see that he prizes you. He celebrates you. He prizes you. He promises eternal presence. And for you good Presbyterians, that was five Ps. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we have props for that. And a mic that allows me to roam all over. Handmade, I might say. With my little kudos. It's a sheep, right? Do you know what the sheep's name is? I don't know either. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The word Lord there is Yahweh. Yahweh. For those of you who have studied Greek and Hebrew, no more listening to me, because I'm going to do my best at looking at the Hebrew. But Yahweh is the word that was used for God, introduced with Moses, God introduced himself to Moses in, that, in Exodus 3. Ironically, Moses was also a shepherd. We're starting to see that theme already being developed. And Moses, if you recall, was a reluctant leader. And he's trying to get out of this calling. Well, he says, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will say. And then they will ask me, what is his name? then what am I to tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. Absolutely I am. Is my. Note that it's not the. The Lord is the shepherd, but rather is my shepherd. In the bulletin, I've, list, I've listed out that first verse, and I've just changed the words, put blanks in there for you to fill in. My hope is for you to do that reflectively. So, is indeed the Lord my shepherd for you? Or what word would you put in there? Or would, maybe he's not your shepherd. What is he? What might that be? We saw in John 10 where there are other voices, there are other shepherds out there with different voices. I'd be a fool to think that those voices have not impacted us as a congregation. 
Note that Jesus, in John 10, refers to himself as a shepherd. And he's actively engaged. The sheep hear his voice, calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And the sheep will follow. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Psalm 2, Psalm 23, 2, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'd like to pause for a second and for us to put ourselves in the scenery that's going on there now. As you look out, do you see the green, the green grass? By the way, in Israel, surrounded by a desert, no doubt. And it's not the big grass, but little sprigs we're going to see in a bit. But you sense the coolness, walking through the grass, the coolness. The best I could do. But that probably represents the reality. Not a lot of grass in that area, but there was grass. And the shepherd led it to that area. Not in abundance, but he led them to that area. He makes me lie down. Forgot that. The Greek, sorry, the Hebrew word for lying down was to stretch out. So I brought a sleeping bag to represent that. Because that's what the Lord does as our shepherd. He makes us lie down. The only sheep I know are from petting, petting zoos. But what I've read about sheep is that they also are difficult to make lie down. So somehow God in his infinite wisdom is able to do that. But you get a sense of what he's doing. He's actually providing for you rest. Anybody feeling the need for rest? I almost brought my hammock. I prefer a hammock. How about you all? What comes to my mind about lying down, he makes us lie down. One of the joys of my life now is my grandchildren. And I love to watch and spend time with my, my grandchildren. They often will ask me to babysit grandchildren. I said, Papa does not babysit his grandchildren. He spends time with them. And I love to put them in bed at night. Quietly put them in bed, sheet over them, put my hand on their back, and we pray. And we pray. Right? They're stretched out. And that's what the Lord does for you, if you know him. Again, the green pastures, one commentator says, it's not a lot of grass, just a little sprigs, but it's enough to take a bite, then walk a little farther and take another bite. The shepherd leads the sheep through the sprigs until each sheep has had a chance to eat. It's not a lot of grass sometimes, but it's enough for today's meal. So what comes to my mind as I read that also is our Lord teaching us to do the Lord's Prayer. And he provides for us, he promises that he'll provide for us, what? The daily bread. Do you ever feel like you, you haven't gotten enough daily bread? But you've survived to the next day, so apparently you have. He leads me beside still waters. Do you hear the still waters? Quietness, again, getting a sense of rest. Sheep can drink out of 
moving creeks, moving rivers. So why is it still? Again, I think God is trying to share with us the importance of rest. I don't know about you, I'm challenged daily to remember that. I think as a culture, we tend to be very frenetic. Rest, still waters. By the way, the good Lord shepherd, the good shepherd doesn't just lead us to still waters. He really is the still waters. No? Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, the best I could do here was a pair of hiking shoes. Because it's tough terrain. Let's think of the scenery here. It's scary. It's dark. I asked Jeremiah if he would come up and play a little bit of spooky music, music in the background, but he decided he wouldn't do that for me. But put yourself in this situation. This is poetry. Even though I walk, walk, I don't know about you, I wouldn't be walking. I'd be running probably the opposite direction. But even though I walk through, there was a song, I was trying to remember who it was, you all might know, but it was an old song that was, if you're going through hell, don't stop. A lot of truth to that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Hebrew there was of extreme danger, deep darkness. Commentators, it's interesting to read commentaries argue back and forth about it means death. Well, it means being close to death situations. My personal thought is that it is in the shadow. So it doesn't have to be death itself. It doesn't exclude death. But it's the shadow of death. So therefore, there is this deep darkness. And there are times we walk through that. And you may be walking through that now. And I'd be happy to meet with you afterwards to encourage you. Been there, done that. And we'll do it again, no doubt. That's part of our journey. It's interesting that David, in this psalm, guarantees that we will not have health and wealth, but rather we will have troubles. We will have challenges. We will have death, death of dreams, death of relationships. It's part of our journey. But in that, David says, I will fear no evil. And why? Why? Because I'm strong enough. I'm tough enough? No. For you are with me. The Hebrew is along with me. We're not alone. God doesn't promise an easy road. He promises his presence in that road. I'm here to share with you that's truth. That's truth. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I thought about finding a table, but that was going to be difficult. So I decided to take the lazy way out and don't do a table. But then I thought to myself, huh, this is a feasting table. 
So I brought you a tablecloth. Okay? It's a big table. It's a feasting table. And so if I brought you anything small, it would not be consistent with what David is talking about here. It's a feasting table. Think about your Thanksgiving meals with all the family there. That's not big enough. It's a feasting table. It's interesting. In those times, to prepare a table was to, to bring for a guest. I'm thinking of Luke 15, when we have the prodigal son that's being celebrated. What did the father do? Create a big feast, so loud, it was a party, such a feast that was so loud that the other brother heard it and said, what's going on? That's the type of feasting table that God is preparing for David. Isn't it interesting that our God has submitted himself and is now setting the table for David and for us? God prizes you. He's for you. Many of you need to hear that. You feel like you're trying to please this God that you can't please. Oh, he's pleased already. He prized, he celebrates you. That's what got Job into trouble. God celebrated Job in front of the Satan. And then things went downhill. You anoint my head. I'm sorry, excuse me. In the pres- By the way, this table is in, part of my, it's in the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you, but that does not sound too encouraging to me. I tend to lose my appetite when I'm sitting down and eating with, with enemies. How about you? So I really wrestle with this, and I'm open to all ideas. What I could see in commentaries and my own thinking, God loves you so much that he's going to celebrate you in front of everyone, even those folks that don't respect you, that undercut you, whatever your enemy's doing. By the way, we all have them. If you don't, please come up and talk with me later as well. But Jesus is so proud of you that he's providing a table for you. That also reminds me of Luke 22, where Jesus set the table. After washing the feet of his disciples, he prepared a table for them. A table that we prepare, he prepares for us. We call it communion. Right? So there's something about setting a table for folks. It's huge from a biblical standpoint. You anoint my head with oil. Next Thanksgiving, may I encourage you to get a bowl or a cup of oil and pour it on your loved one. And see how that goes. But culturally, in those days, that was a sign of honor. You would anoint the one that's being loved. And again, trying to get across this poetic idea that it's the the intensity of that love, it overflows. I still love the King James Version the way I read it, at least for this verse. It runneth over. I mean, there's power behind it, right? Fire hose anointing, overflowing. That's how much... Our Lord loves us. Verse 6. Surely, oh no, they're not there. 
How'd they get over there? Thank you, Lucy. Thank you. Thank you. Whew. I was worried. I couldn't find them. Two dogs. May I introduce you to goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. Douglas McMillan quotes a Scottish shepherd. Can't think of anything more powerful than a Scottish shepherd. Who preached on the verse we're looking at here today. This is the quote from them. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Think of a shepherd, he says, walking in front of his sheep. The sheep are following him, and behind the sheep, meaning you, are two sheepdogs chasing after the stragglers, keeping the flock close to the shepherd. The good shepherd has two sheepdogs. One is called goodness, and the other is called mercy. For those who think that's tacky, it's not me. This is something I'm reading from a commentator. Okay? Goodness and mercy. But, but I do love that picture. The Hebrew word here for follow is chase, pursue. You literally have dogs nipping at your heels. Goodness and mercy. His goodness and his mercy. So not dogs to be afraid of, but rather the goodness. What was really interesting in my studies is goodness... The same Hebrew word used for goodness here is the same that is the Hebrew word that is used when God created in Genesis 1, and he re- stepped back and reflected on what he, what he had made, and he says, God saw that it was good. Same word, Good. That sense of goodness is following us is what David is saying here. That good shepherd is leading us, but there's goodness and mercy keeping us in line. And mercy, the Hebrew word there is for loving kindness. One of the verses that popped out to me is Psalm 24, 18. Psalm Sorry, Psalm 94, 18. Psalm 94, 18. When I thought my foot slips... Your steadfast love, your steadfast loving kindness, O Lord, held me up. It's not after I slipped he helped pick me up, right? But when I thought I was slipping, that split second that you think you're slipping, God's loving kindness is there for you. Then we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Or as we studied in Revelation 7, 16 17, they shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb of the lamb, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Again, we are promised his presence. We are promised his presence. All those promises are for those who know and love the Good Shepherd. Five times in John 10, Jesus identifies that he lays down his life for his sheep. There's no doubt there may be some of you here today are not of his flock. I would love to have the opportunity to talk with you about that after church, after church this afternoon. My hope and prayer is that you would want to become one of these types of sheep. Why would you not? Loving, kind, he's my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? My hope and prayer is the answer to that is yes. For those of you that do know the Lord, my hope and prayer is that you've been encouraged today by the silly props, but, but more so by his word. I, encourage that, I hope that you have seen Psalm 23 from a little different view. It's hard not knowing sheep to teach about shepherds, or te- teach about sheep and shepherds. Yeah. But hopefully that's come across. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for David and his love for you. Lord, the scripture says he was an ordinary man. We are ordinary men and women, boys and girls. Father, we pray that you would help us as we grow, walk along the journey, that we indeed develop our own creed, our own confession, And Lord, that creed, confession, would include you. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for laying down your life for us. It's because of you we have righteousness, and we have the future joy of dwelling in your home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.